Shut up and sit down. everyone happy friday i had to check i actually had to check isn't that terrible god mm. anyways um we're gonna do um uh there's lots of topics floating around that we could do but we're gonna do a plot drift just to have some fun um but before we do that julie has a public announcement she'd like to make so i'm gonna let her do her thing yeah, so I bitched on <laughs> I bitched on Mewi about this already, but you know, I got up this morning, I forgot that Endgame came out yesterday. And between well my, this morning when I went, I hit the MCU tag on the on AO three to <laughs> um see what had posted, you know, recently. And right there, major spoilers in people's summaries and tags for Endgame. Now there were less when I went later on the same stories. I think people got bitched out for failing to put spoiler warnings <laughs> and just laying it out there for everybody. Um, but it didn't, it also, they were in my email um, because there are authors I follow who write in the MCU who had to work out their feelings and they just, that shit just landed right in my inbox. So for starters, what the fuck? I mean, come on. If you've been in fandom a minute, you know, people don't appreciate spoilers like that. Um, so that's just that's just bullshit. Um, so I, the PSA is like, come on, folks. It it's bad enough just to do it on Facebook, you know, where I can unfriend your ass if you do stuff like that. And I have unfriended people who were thoughtless about spoilers before. Um, but to put it like up on a public archive like that with people in fandom who just, it, you know, open their email or something, and there it is. They just can't even. Get away from it. There's the answer right there to what happens. I just, uh, I'm upset. I've been upset all day. I've been upset, 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 upset. And apparently it's a spoiler. The spoiler that was I, that I saw, well, I saw more than one, but the spoiler I saw was like the very last scene. I mean, come on. That's just rude as fuck. I'm very displeased. So there's the public service announcement. I'd probably, if I had opened one of those stories to read, I probably would have actually said something just like all the other people did to those authors. So, Are you plugged in? I'm here. here. I'm here. I'm just, I'm all, I'm all, I, I got spoiled. I, I know what the ultimate sacrifice is, and I'm I'm not on board with it. I'm not. In fact, I'm so not on board with it that I I got almost got on Bewe and re- revealed something that I said I wasn't going to reveal. So um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. My head cannon actually, is firm. I, I'm going to yeah, go on head. the um, in game doesn't exist. It's just fuck it, fuck it. I'm done. 
Well, I didn't actually think I was going to be happy with this movie. I mean, it might be an exceptional movie, but I actually had a feeling I was going to be happy with it overall as a fan. But, you know, um, yeah, so just, you know, that, that one of the reasons why, A, if – we we took MCU off the off the roster for plot drift tonight, even though I've been really in an MCU state of mind lately. Um, but just because A, I wouldn't be able to not talk about it, and B, I'm really pissed. <laughs> I'm really pissed. I'm pissed at the people who spoiled the movie. I'm pissed at the you know just I'm just pissed. I'm just upset. So I'm just yeah. Anyway, I have an interesting since you already know. I'll talk to you later. But I have an interesting conclusion about. Uh, what all of this means. Um, anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna plot drift about um, a different Tony, um, not MCU Tony, but about Denozo Tony, my my original unicorn, my my NCIS unicorn. Anyway, um, and then and, and try not to think about it, and and maybe I'll see Endgame someday soon. Although I think I'm pretty well spoiled now at this point. <laughs> for anything that I actually cared about. Oh, man. Mm. Somebody got spoiled on Yahoo News. I mean, even even CNET and Time Magazine and stuff have the decency to give spoiler warnings. Yeah, so I'm, we were, I'm not, we're talking. I'm just not. I'm just not. We were talking in in, uh, in sprints earlier uh, about how um, uh, we were. I were talking about. I don't remember exactly how what it was said. Something about Tony, but it could have been vague, like which Tony I was talking about, right? Um, and and then I was like, uh, I mean Tony Denozo, and everybody was like, it, but the, 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 what I said could have been described equally the either Tony, right? Because both Tonys, Tony in NCIS and Tony in in, uh, in MCU, both are treated very similarly by the fandom, which is that by and large fandom loves them and treats them terribly for it. <laughs> in the sense of lump, in the sense of emotional meltdowns, in the sense of being incredibly insecure, it's very common tropes applied to both of them. Very common character depictions apply to both of them. So, um, yeah. So let's just let's just move past um, the MCU and um, um, talk I, about the other Tony. We will not be treating yeah, him terribly. Yeah. Rivers of Tears. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tony has, Tony Denozo has cried so many tears in fandom that the Hufflepuffs are drowning. Um, So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do some unicorn plotting. So, but um, my first note to myself about this podcast it does it doesn't have to be a tragedy. And so because so often when we plot around moving Denozo out of the NCIS um, situation, it's always um, pretty much always it's because he's he's hit that 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 last straw. Yeah, right. He's had so, enough. What if it's not? I mean, what if it's just because he sees it as a an immense opportunity? You know. So it was just you know that's just that's just what popped into my head.
Yeah, and I like the yeah. idea of him coming on board earlier. Um, I mean, certainly him going to Atlantis is a favorite trope of mine. Um, but he could still go to Atlantis eventually, be on the Atlantis mission roster, but have been with the with the with the SGC longer than that. Well, okay. So when when Gibbs recruits Dinozo, and um, before he gets left at the altar, he goes to Flitzit, right, or whatever, um, whatever how you call that, Flit Flitzy, yeah, Flitzy. So he goes. So let's say he goes to Flexi, and part of Flexi's policies, because of the SGC, is that um, do, um, do they have ancient gene knowledge at that point? Mm, so that would be two thousand and one, which that's SG season six, I think. But not that you couldn't slide things around a little bit. But let me just double check the SGC. That might be season five. No. I think it's five, um, but I'm. They're pretty close to the AG knowledge because um, SGA started in 2004, right? So yeah. they're pretty close. Um, so what if during his training they took blood and everything, and you know, and it eventually his results eventually make it to the SGC, and he gets recruited that way. That would work. That would work really well because even if he, I mean, but even if that's not at that exact moment, the minute they start being able to scan databases, I'm sure they would hit. It actually is, to me, a little bit of an oversight in canon that they're so desperate for natural gene carriers that they didn't check all of the law enforcement database, gene database as well as um, military. I mean, it's sort of implied they may have hit up the military, but I think it's even a little bit sketchy because it seems like there should have been, they should have been able to recruit more natural gene carriers if they really looked at the, um, the combined DNA database. I can't remember exactly what the law the military one is called. Because I mean, I sincerely doubt they would let the privacy laws about you know tapping into those databases. No, they wouldn't. Affect them in the slightest. No. Um. So. I mean that that would be one way to do it, and another way to do it would be um, what if he what if he early in his tenure at NCIS, um, like maybe they caught a case of a murdered Marine who worked at the SGC, um, like who was on leave or something, and like the SGC was stomping all over the case, and Tony managed to solve it and really impressed Jack in the process, and so they recruited him. Because if there was a murdered Marine from the from the base, um, depending upon the well, I would think anybody on leave who was murdered who was attached to the SGC, the SGC would probably try to take over the investigation themselves. Although I don't really think that they're remotely qualified to conduct a murder investigation. Um, Even if they didn't take it over, I think they would be deeply in it involved. 
Yeah. And not getting along well with Gibbs as a result. Um, the idea, we've, I think we've touched on the idea of um, the, the trust getting, looking for gene carriers in another um, podcast, because we talked about that as being um, the, the, a, a mechanism um, for getting all of the shepherds shipped off to Atlantis, um, and that like Tony's in one of the first waves. Remember that podcast? Wasn't that on a podcast? Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I Where it was. Tony's in I one of the first, first waves, and he... Um, he shows up, but they get John. It's sort of John gets a, 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 a notice of an agent afloat coming, and the city change. We talked about the city changing um, his next of kin when it runs his DNA, and it's because he's really John's brother. It was another Alex Shepard idea, and that the rest yeah, of the Shepherds yeah. are on their way because the SEC is trying to round up all the people who are compromised by the trust, getting all that information. Yeah, so I think that's. A, I mean, we wouldn't applaud that if I didn't think that was a good idea. Um, that was another. That was another attempt to create a kind of a different way that uh, Alex Shepard has found. Well, but there's no need. They wouldn't need to just. They wouldn't need to work on the the blood samples he gave at Bethesda because um, Tony's DNA would be in the the lawn. The the they they made it really clear that Tony's DNA is in the law enforcement database. It's actually really hard to get. For, to me, from what I could tell, to get really concrete information about how law enforcement or federal um, DNA databases are for federal employees. Um, but FrameUp makes it really clear that at least in the NCIS canon yeah. that such a thing exists because they, they ran Tony's DNA against all databases and got a hit on Tony. So he was in the system. So they wouldn't need to um, get his DNA from... Because um, that would be... To me, that would be even more. That would be a bigger invasion of privacy um, to use blood he'd given in a medical context to, to to find out information about him like that versus just blanketly running, um, looking for a specific genome, um, and basically in CODIS or or g- generalized databases. And hacking into a database like that is one thing, but stealing his private medical information, kind of skeevy. Um, and we already have, like, ethical concerns around the way the SGC operates on the medical front anyway. So, yeah, I think that's why I wouldn't go the 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 plague route there. Um And that could actually be why they look at the databases because the trust they find out that the trust had broken in and hacked the federal database database the CODIS and whatever federal DNA registries there are. I used to know what the military one was called, but I'm totally blanking on it. Yeah, that's an interesting angle. It's like maybe the um, that that they're careful about anything potentially that somebody from who's been off world has been exposed to, even though they do rigorous protocols. And if Tony maybe had gotten blood contamination from 
um, arresting or being in, somehow being in contact with somebody who had been off world, I could see them wanting to do. But the other side all... of it is, is if he arrested somebody from the SGC and they go back um, to the SGC after it's over, it's, you know, they were innocent or whatever. Um, and that goes through the chain of command. Um, and they look at the NCIS agent and find out he's been exposed to the plague. They're really good hard look at him to make sure what his health history is and if their assets been compromised. Yeah. Or also with that same setup, you could have the Tony's the one who fought really hard to get the guy cleared. And uh, he mentions it. And Jack looks into this agent. I really like the idea of Tony getting recruited on his merits and not just on his DNA. I mean, I could see them. I'm not saying they only recruit on his DNA, that they would see his DNA and go, oh, he's also a really good, he'd be a really good asset. But I kind of like the idea of him really getting recruited on his merits and then they find out about the gene later. Since our first angle here is the it's not a tragedy thing. And if it's earlier in the canon, then he's not quite so, you know, attached to Gibbs. The Gibbs attachment is is a problem early on. Um, and it's a crutch later. Yeah. But I think he's more... Um, I think in the first couple seasons of NCIS, which would be up to 2005, 2006-ish, um, he is, it's more functional. He's attached, but it, there's, there's a reason for him to be attached. I felt like it devolved into this weird sort of something between codependency and gaslighting uh, the further we went into canon. So um, I think he, it would take a, he'd really think hard about it, but I think it, it's possible to get him away in those first couple seasons in a way that is it's difficult and I'll miss you kind of thing versus, you know, I'm destroying a family by leaving. That whole codependent vibe was just really unfortunate as the series went on. Oh, my thing didn't scroll. It didn't scroll for 15 messages. What the hell? I know, yeah. Sometimes it just does that. It just stops scrolling. Um, so what if, um, let's go all the way out to Slack. And what if um, during the plague episode, um, he survives, but he is um, no longer fit for field duty? And his doctor, Dr. Brad Pitt, actually knows of a way that he could be healed, but he can't do it classified. And so he contacts his very good friend at the SGC um, and tells Janet Frazier all about this really, really brilliant um, law enforcement officer in NCIS who's been exposed to the, t- the plague and it's ruined his lung capacity. And he's going to be, you know, medically retired. And she gets Hammond or O'Neill to recruit Tony. So she can heal him. I like that. 
It's worth a side note. It's, it is worth a side note that this is a much more probable scenario. People survive bubonic plague with antibiotics. That statistic that they gave in the show of the 15% survival rate, that's about that's for bubonic plague. Pneumonic plague, people do not survive without antibiotics. It just doesn't happen. It's uh, that Tony survived is remotely possible. That he survived and was able to return into the field in two weeks, not a chance in hell. That he was survived and returned to the field at all, that even that's really questionable. And they were really clear that he had pneumonic plague. And you just don't survive Brad, that without antibiotics. Dr. Brad could be Janet's old flame in medical school. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And uh, maybe he even consults with the SGC for because um, he's a contagious disease specialist, right? So, I mean, I would yeah. say that he probably does consult with the SGC if they're in the same world. And um, he sees Tony fighting the good fight, but he knows that even if he survives this, he's, he's not going to that he's done and it's not fair because he's so young and he's bright and he's just, he's really good at his job. He's, you know, to get him and, or whatever, you know, so he, uh, he takes a really, really keen interest in making sure Tony not only survives, but thrives after the, after the plague. So he brings him to the attention of the SGC. Maybe he even, they wouldn't see the ATA gene at that point, but um, that that could come up later. Yeah, because if they don't have the ATA, if they're not doing the test, well, that's 2000, that would be 2000 and, I think that would be 2005. They had the gene by then. Actually, the Atlantis, it, 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 they already knew about the gene. But they could find out about the gene when they're, after he's already there. Yeah. Because they may not have started doing widespread searching for through um they may not have done their searching beyond the military databases at that point maybe it hadn't occurred to yeah them. i mean you know yeah pitt could have some, search- you know um some guilt going on because you know this is the second time he's watched tony's life literally be um ruined by something outside of his own control this that, that's been done to him and he's like you know what no we're not gonna <laughs> this isn't gonna go the same way twice you know Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, they're not going to read him in if Jack doesn't find. But it could have been that all along um, you could actually have it be your headcanon. The reason Tony survived is that while he was sleeping that someone from the SGC did, that Janet slipped in and helped him. Um, that could that might even be my new headcanon for how he survived that because it has always been in my brain like it doesn't make any sense. I, why would they pick the deadliest strain of plague and have him survive it without antibiotics? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, well, um, it could be Janet and Sam Carter because Sam Carter can use the healing device, that the hand healing device. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um. So that could be something that happened in the background all along. It could be like your new headcanon, like Brad called Janet, and they they fixed him up while he was sleeping one night. Um, but you could take that further, that, that they investigated him and realized kind of that he's a bright, shining star, and that they wanted him to come on board. Oh, since, oh, like, 
maybe they do give him the pitch, but at that point he's really just he's all in on his team. You know, Kate stayed with him and, you know, just got all these warm feelings and everything. But then what if later something happens that makes him rethink that? Um, Kate's death and Ziva's on the team and he goes, Okay, no. <laughs> I've got it could options. be it could be Ziva coming on the team and be like, Are you kidding me? And then he calls Jack and goes, I rethought that offer <laughs> Or he could be in the thinking about it phase when well actually Ziva doesn't come on for several months, so um but yeah, it could just be Ziva. <laughs> Brad and Janet. It could it absolutely has to be Brad and Janet. <laughs> Janet. Janet. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah. Um. <laughs> That's an interesting idea that he survived because he's got enough ancient DNA in him that he healed himself. I like that idea. Because really anybody who had, I mean, U.S. Amrid ha- would have to be really curious about why he survived. I mean, that was kind of like totally glossed over. Why did this, and that could be another avenue to them finding out that he's got ancient DNA, right? Is that when they send the samples, because I would think after a fuck up like that, which is basically a bioterror attack on a federal agency, that they would mm-hmm. get all those samples and shut down that research at that pharmaceutical company. And they probably probably U.S. Amrib, maybe the CDC, would lock that stuff down. Um, but then they would have to wonder, how did anybody survive this? Maybe that you could actually have somebody being like, well, it must not work very well if someone survived antibiotic-resistant mnemonic, mnemonic plague, because they would pick mnemonic plague because it would be unsurvivable without antibiotics, right? right. And that's why it would be an effective bioweapon. Um, so that could be, and then they realize it is effective. They like restudy it, and they go, "Well, this is actually done just right." So, how has it anybody survived? You know, U.S. Amrid like scratching their head, going, "We need to check into this a little bit more." And then, as they're running Tony's DNA and stuff through databases, um, the SGC comes in and shuts down their research and says, "We'll take it from here." <laughs> we know exactly so why you survived. <laughs> you guys don't get to have this anymore. We're taking your toy. But I think it would be really interesting that, you know, that if Tony is medically retired from the NCIS, there's no personal blowback. There's no – you can just t- you just totally dismiss all that, you know, um, that whole angry Abby thing or the guilt trips from Gibbs because there's nothing to do. And honestly, because it is my headcanon that Ari killed Kate so that there would be room for Ziva on that team and that that was actually his mission – that, that the whole mission was for Eli David to get his daughter into NCIS, um, and he picked Kate as the target. If Tony is medically discharged from duty because of the plague, then there's no need to kill Kate. Very true. But it is in my head, Kate, and that is exactly why Kate died, because um, um, Eli David wanted Ziva in the SGC, and they and he's I mean not SGC but the NCIS, the NCIS and he sacrificed um, Ari to accomplish that. They had yeah. him kill Kate and then Ziva killed Ari on her father's orders um, and so that she could get into NCIS and spy for him, which is exactly what she did. Mm-hmm. Jenny Shepard, I have, that's why I, it's my, it's totally my belief that Jenny Shepard 
um, Eli had to know she was going to have lots of access once she was in NCIS. And the only way to ensure that she would have the kind of access that he needed her to have was that Jenny Shepard had to be in on it. Because the liaison officer should have been able to access that. feeding Shepard's revenge train and also mm-hmm. giving her data on the frog um, to kind of... Um, yeah, totally. He totally I think he fed her crazy. I think he yep. fed her crazy, and um, Zebra probably did too. So yeah, that that's totally my head canon. That um, so if Tony is medically discharged and Kate doesn't get killed, and then Kate has to put up with Ziva, um, but then that won't be Tony's problem because Tony will be retired medically. But then Tony just says, you know, I can't, you know, I can't really live in Washington anymore, um, and and that's his thing. So he just says, I'm gonna have to move somewhere where the weather's a little better. Um, and he just kind of disappears off the radar. And occasionally they'll get an email, and they won't know that he got recruited by the SGC, and Janet fixed him, and, and now he's saving the universe. <laughs> Intergalactic cop. And be part of an SG team. Just be out there, out there doing the thing. You know, talking to people, meeting people, being his friendly self. Hello there, Julie. Hello. I, I muted myself. I muted myself to cough, and I just forgot about it. <laughs> You're talking. I'm like, because I even I, I said he'll be out there being the head of the department of making shit up. <laughs> it's funny how sometimes I think it would be I can fun just... to actually have him be on a team. Um and you like, you know, if you if you did it, you could do like a whole series of episodes with him and his team, which could be led by Ian Edgerton. <laughs> and Ian could recruit could rec- could recruit or, or Steve, depending on your on your mood, and and he could recruit um Colby from the FBI. Um Colby Granger, which that, that's like an Easter egg in in Sentinels of Atlantis that that Colby Granger on Matt's SG team is actually Colby Granger from Numbers. Oh, <laughs> I just kind of stole it and stuck him in there. <laughs> well, why not? But but no one mentioned it, so it just kind of came up a little Easter egg thing, you know, because um. <laughs> Um, we have to come up. We need to come up with a name for the. I got to come up with a, some kind of funny name for the, um, for the Tony, um, Tony Ian ship because we called Steve Tony the mothership, and um, I was joking with Lady Holder we were going to call the Jack Tony ship the gate ship. Um, so now we got to come up with something for, for because she wrote some serious Tony Jack porn this week. Um, Gunship. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking the sniper ship, but <laughs> the gunship is hysterical. We got the gate <laughs> ship, the gunship, and the mothership. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been, I got a funny question. I'm just going to go ahead and dress. I got you guys in the podcast, like captive audience. Somebody sent me a question about why I always write Tony as having played basketball and football in college because wasn't that pretty unrealistic? 
Yeah, it was, but that's canon. <laughs> so and I don't it, think it they is intended. canon. And I also in college, I knew several who did both. I knew several young yeah, men in college who did both. It's um, it's not. I would say playing two sports in a competitive school like um, OSU is not wouldn't be all that common, but it does happen. Um, and yes, to the person question, Tony is a little short for basketball. Not complete, not not completely short. I think the minimum height is six foot one. He's, I think, Michael Weatherly's six foot one and three quarters. But we'll just call it six two. Um, yes, he but he's also um, he's got a he's got a lot of physical space. My, uh, Michael Weatherly's a big guy. He's like you know he's kind of yeah. got a really you know broad chest. Very sexy, um, and so uh, he's got a lot of physical uh, physicality about him that really would work well in both that basketball and football. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that the show, show, I don't know that the show that the show intended to to change his sport or make him do both, but it's really clear that in, in the first few seasons, he talks about that he broke his leg in the game. The game is an annual football game between um, Michigan and Ohio State. That is a thing. Um, so that made it clear that he played football. But if that didn't, the score that he and, of the game that he and Brad Pitt played um, where he broke his leg, which was the game, um, they kissed their sisters, their score was 13-13. That's football. And then in later seasons, they talk about Tony having gone to the Final Four. That's basketball. Which is, so Cannon has him playing both sports. Now, they may not have realized they did that because NCIS Cannon is rife with inconsistencies, but it doesn't change the fact that it is still Cannon that he played both sports. Physically, I think he's a better fit. If you just look at him, you would think football player. But right. he, he could easily be a really good basketball player, too. But he he is not a forward. He there's no way he's a forward. So quit writing that. I may have even put that in one of the stories as a joke, but I really didn't think that anybody would take me seriously. <laughs> I think you have to be like six four or six five to be a forward. So Yeah. Anyway. To be a successful forward. <laughs> because yeah, Dark Serfina says that NCIS writers use their story bible as a as a doorstop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm all aboard the Janet Dr. Brad. I'm all aboard it. Very nice, Ellie. I'm I'm maybe Brad I'm will join that. her in the SGC and he will be on hand during that terrible episode and will knock her out of the way. So she doesn't get hit with that Jafar weapon. Hey, Karen, accepted. I, yes. <laughs> Brad is going to save Dr. Janet. And really, Jan, now that now that now that Janet and Brad is in my head as Janet and Brad, that can Tony would make jokes about that forever. He would never let them. I mean, every every um, party would be Rocky Horror themed. <laughs> he meets them at the door with their costumes. <laughs> yeah. No, Tony, I'm not wearing a slip to your party. Oh, yes, you are. You two, <laughs> you two are. You two are coming to my. He'd be. He'd think he'd come to them and go. You two are coming to my Halloween party. It's Janet and Brad, and they'd be all. Oh, do we have to again? Yes, every party. <laughs> yes, this is never party. getting old. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's the med ship. That's absolutely the med ship. It's totally. But yeah, I'm I'm just all aboard that. Yeah, Brad is um in the Navy, I think. Yeah. I think he's a commander. He has a right lieutenant commander. commander. Yeah. They call them Brannett. <laughs> <laughs> he could go with Brad to the party and he will go with Janet at the party and Tony will be like, Yes. <laughs> That works too. It's great. <laughs> oh yeah, Tony would totally be um, Frankenfurter, the good doctor. Oh. Yeah, he'd totally be Doctor Frankenfurter. Totally, he would have no oh, hesitation yeah, at all to be Frankenfurter. Absolutely. If Daniel Jackson didn't beat into it. <laughs> <laughs> Now I want to write this story just so I can have an episode of the Halloween party. <laughs> you were like, here's your invitation and your cast choice. <laughs> there will be a showing of the movie if you need to watch it in advance so that you know your part. Do so. There will be dancing. <laughs> Well, the question is, Gibbs, is why aren't you wearing fishnets? <laughs> You're supposed to be here as magenta. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now that we've gone down that hole. It is, I, I can, I can see this so visually that it, I'm going to be amused by this for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> but I do like the idea of, of Dr. Brad and, and Janet saving the day for Tony and, um, uh, having there being a realistic consequences to that biological attack at NCIS. Um, but then it also kind of breaks Tony free from them because he doesn't have to do any explaining. You know, he, he, I, I don't have a choice here. I'm, I'm medically retired. He goes off into his medical retirement, I put that in quotes, and goes to the SGC. And they could either, I'm trying to say, they could either just bring him as a pure civilian or they could have him attached to AFOC. I don't know how. I mean, that's just such an awkward acronym um, because they do have civilians. Um, NCIS is strictly civilian. Army CID, I believe, is primarily military. And um, the Air Force Office of Special Investigations is a blend. So he could work for them. But the, the medical retirement thing kind of, he'd probably have to be a consultant because the medical retirement thing kind of goes out the window if he winds up attached to a different. Yeah, I would say he would do medical retirement and then take a job consulting for the SGC. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think transferring to a different, a different, a different, even though AF, I don't think AFOC is strictly a federal agency, I'm pretty sure that they're, they're a branch of the Air Force. Um, maybe, um, 
I'd have to check their hierarchy. Maybe they're attached to the inspect, the Air Force Inspector General. I'm not 100% sure. Um, so I've never done actually much looking into them other than figuring out that they have a um, a blend of um, civilian and military office, um, agents. Would Tony have this advanced degrees? Um, it's usually my head I think he would have time to pursue one. Yeah, but it's usually my headcanon that by this point in his career that he's picked up a master's already. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he would definitely have more time to – and with Daniel running around, you know, influencing him. Um, I think Tony would be an excellent anthropologist for the for the Atlantis mission. Yeah, I think he would be too. He's very outgoing. He's energetic. He's um, – He's very observant. He um, is very personable. I think he would actually be a very good anthropologist. Would be very good. So I think he probably the Atlantis mission. Daniel would be like, "Well, I've got a couple of guys. Um, my choice for the head of your department would definitely be Dinozo. You know, so." Well, if Tony, you'd have to probably slide the events around a little bit because um, in, if this is happening around SWAC, um, the Atlantis expedition has already happened. Unless they are um, sending him in with the second wave. If he's, you know, reinforcements later on. Because he'd be joining in 2000, I think, um, the air date for SWAC. I have it open. Hold on. I want, I want to say um, it was May of 2005. What? Yeah, it was May, 10 May of 2005. So that would be second wave. Maybe Elizabeth asked um, for a replacement for um, – what did Peter Groden do? Maybe Tony is his replacement. Anthropology – Languages, um, maybe negotiating for trade deals. So he would come in basically as Elizabeth's second. That'd be interesting. It would depend on whether or not you have a crazy Elizabeth or a... um... (laughs) But I think at that point, if I'm giving Tony a soft landing, I'm going to cast my good Elizabeth and, and give him a place um, give him somebody he can depend on not to be crazy. She's had yeah. enough crazy. And then, now I need, and then, and then you get him, get him together with Ronan. Um, now I need a name for that ship. Maybe that should be the gun ship and Ian could be sniper ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, um, Although I guess that could be the BFG ship, the big fucking gun ship, because Ronan has the big fucking gun. Um, I thought the only thing that was canon was Spanish, but um, I don't... I mean, certainly it makes more sense to me that he would... Really? He thinks speaks Farsi? Hmm... Knife ship. (laughs) (laughs) 
But you could also, because these are not the SG universe and and uh, NCIS are not remotely in the same universe. I typically keep, you know, if I want to move things around, I typically keep NCIS static, have its timeline be. Because honestly, NCIS's timeline is much easier to work out than Stargate's timeline. Stargate's timeline is just all over the place in terms of air dates being weird and weird long breaks and, you know, things not matching up, like six weeks between episodes that aired a week apart um, and, you know, a minute passing between episodes that aired four months apart. It's very difficult to figure out Stargate when actually things happened in Stargate. So if I'm going to move one in time, it's definitely going to be the Stargate. Um, now, I keep them relative to each other, you know, Stargate versus SGA, their timelines synced up relative to each other. But, you know, I've I've moved them as much as 10 years forward in time so that, you know, um, things just hit right, line up where I want them to. I think I think it was 10 years that I moved things in um, um, the journey home. I moved to 10 years. Oh, okay, so that was okay. I think I even know which episode that would be, where it might be where he exposed. Okay. Um, <laughs> Battleship. <laughs> okay. You take my battleship. I like that. That's that's a really good way to get him into the SGC um, through Brad and Janet. Who now now Brad really needs to um, go to the SGC and get involved with Janet. I just that just needs to be a thing. Spaceship, the spaceship. Dark said that John accuses them of having a knife ship rather than a friendship. Put <laughs> the name of your your ship into as an Easter egg into your story. <laughs> Save Janet, absolutely. That'll be our that'll be our trending hashtag for the week. Save the Janet, Brennan. <laughs> write it down. Hold on, where? Oh, here we go. Hashtag Brannett. I do like the graceful exit. I mean, I also like the drama of the fuck you exit. <laughs> yeah. There's something very satisfying about the fuck, fuck you exit, especially if there's no staplers thrown. Um Especially if there's no staplers. No temper tantrums. But I think if it's a fuck you exit, he should get Steve as a reward. Uh, I think he should always get Steve as a reward, but I'm because I'm... <laughs> I will forever be aboard the mothership. Even though the knife ship is great and the gunship is sexy as hell, I'm really aboard 
I'm really aboard the mothership. Um, wouldn't it be funny if Steve was already in the SGC and um, they have um, their civilian short, and so he puts in a request for, you know, an anthropologist or whatever, and um, then it comes by his office and says, look, I, you know, I have a new guy. He's um, he's working on his um, Ph.D., um, I need to get him some field experience and I wanted to put him with somebody um, that is um, really good in the field. So you're my choice. A few days later, Dan gets an email saying, thank you. <laughs> From McGarrett. And that's all it says. <laughs> thank you. I'm not mad. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Steve Steve built the mothership (laughs) with his own little hands I love the idea of, of him going out to replace uh, Peter Gordon and being in a position where he can do a lot of good work and be appreciated for that work and be tri- and, and be taken seriously. Um, just, you know. That would be definitely be second wave. Um, I usually try to um, save Peter, but, you know, if he's going to go out, I think it's been in more than one story. I mean, they may, may only be one that I posted, but in more than one time, I have had changed it up that Kavanaugh was on the satellite instead of Peter Grodin because, you know, you know why not? <laughs> right? No, oh, two yeah. problems. Um, two problems with one plot change. <laughs> I um, I've been working on my last chapter for Finding Atlantis, and it's been like pulling teeth. So I want to do some sprints after the podcast if anybody's game. I want to finish my story today, tonight, whatever. Um, it, oh, I, how I can... I'm about I'm I'm two scenes from done. Two. I, I'm 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 almost done myself. Cool. <sighs> I think I'm about two or three scenes from done. So I'm I'm very close. Anyway, so John um, gets his visitors, um, and um, they um, he's brought them to his quarters to to meet Sebastian, and Sebastian's out on the balcony, and. Um, he has all this paper spread out around him, and he says, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, this is Doctor, this is Mister Kavanaugh's dissertation, and he's writing all over it." And he, he's like, "I'm correcting it," and also he's guilty of plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> I've already written Doctor Carter an email about this. <laughs> That's an awesome. <laughs> so there, in the end, he'll only have to read Kavanaugh's work once. Because he went all in the first time. <laughs> Frazier. Janet's last name is Frazier. And, um, oh, I spelled it wrong. I had to go, I put the I in the wrong place. Um, yeah, when they get married, Brad's going to take her name. Because he's tired of the actor comparisons. (laughs) 
I could see that. Brad Fraser. Yeah. I only noted the spelling in chat because I see it, it that I in the wrong place all the time. Um, to the point that I usually don't even notice it anymore. I also Abby's last name is usually spelled wrong. Um same thing with an I. Just I I, I but, think you know that out. And this is gonna sound really ugly. Um, but I think that at the point of Slack, which is two thousand four, it's season two of um NCIS, Abby's attachment to Gibbs outweighs her attachment to anybody else, including Tony, and she would write him off after a medical discharge. I agree. It's not season it's not episode two, no. It's uh it's like episode twenty two. Right. Maybe twenty one or twenty two. Season yeah, two. It's season two, but it's actually 2005. May 10th is when it aired. So. But yeah, I agree. Um, I think she was close to Tony, but it was not not the way she was. She was still semi-sane though at that point. I think I think Kate's death kind of is. If you want to look for a reason for Abby's change in behavior, I would have to attribute it to Kate's death because she was much more reasonable funny, entertaining in the first two seasons, and then she became very controlling, very manipulative, um, almost abusive at times in her, her attempts to control what was going on. And, and, and it was just, it, she had such a change in personality that it, it, it evolved over the third season. I think you could easily, you know, if you want to look for a canon reason for Abby kind of going weird, it, you could Say it's Kate's death. And I don't think losing Tony to medical discharge would 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 affect her the same way. I mean, she would have no control over that. It's not his fault, so there's nothing to berate him for. Um, I think that uh, she would be content to get an email every once in a while. Yeah, I think she would too. Um, I actually think probably one of the cruelest things that they had de- depicted in canon was that um, the way they had Abby um, when she was just clearly falling apart, working the the evidence in Kate's murder. Um, I think that was not, not well done, honestly. But I would also say um, that that NCIS did not do well uh, was um, when Gibbs had to face when when Gibbs had to go through Diane being shot in the head in front of him. Uh, that should have been career ending. Um, the level of PTSD in, involved in not in having not one but two different women shot in the head point forehead right in front of him. That kind of emotional trauma. Don't see how um, he remained. He would, he would not have remained active duty in the field um, after that in reality. 
I just don't see it. But there were other things that would have destroyed his career far before that. So, but it just it always bothered me that Diane's that, that Diane was a plot device and and her murder was a plot device, and um, that Gibbs just was able to brush it away. And it just really, yeah. But they that was the, the second that was the second wife he lost to murder. And there was just no reason to kill Diane. It just. I think they Doesn't wanted to play up the bromance. I think I think they wanted to play up the bromance angle between Fornell and and Gibbs, um, because Tony wasn't around. And um, oh, that was was that was that was that his last season or was that his first season gone? I don't actually. I, don't remember. I remember her dying. I don't remember I actually if he was. Maybe I don't remember. Maybe it's yeah. I do think I do think that with Tony either on his way out the door or already gone, that they wanted to play up the bromance angle between Fornell and Gibbs. Um, and and but why they needed to get her out of the way, I don't know. Maybe they wanted maybe they wanted unobstructed um, the kid being around. I can't remember her name. Um, Fornell's daughter. I'm blanking on her name. Maybe they wanted to not have the co-custody issues to deal with um, in playing up the the relationship between, the friendship between Emily, Emily. between Fornell and Gibbs, is they wanted um, to have her around more, so they just wanted to get rid of Diane. I don't know. Okay, so he was still around, but we knew he was leaving by then, so I think that they were kind of trying to slot someone else into... Um, somebody being close to Gibbs and having some sort of, you know, that kind of sort of banter with Gibbs that would be going away. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, but they had some reason for one to <laughs> name women in NCIS who didn't die. Um, Abby? <laughs> Hollis? Abby? Hollis? Um, I thought Hollis did eventually die. But maybe maybe that really? maybe that was maybe that was. I thought she got married. I don't know. Now there's a fanfic where she dies and gives custody of her twin babies to Gibbs, even though they're not his. Okay, so we've got Hollis. We've got that site, the psychiatrist who dumped Gibbs after the whole what's his face fiasco. Um, Although Gibbs dating a shrink is just as weird as Gibbs dating a... But they're all minor characters, right? Any character who was on um, any significant number of episodes died. Paula, uh, Ziva, Kate, uh, Shepard, Jenny. Um, I mean, that's just... they They don't tend to kill the guys. Because apparently killing a woman is the only way to motivate Gibbs. Apparently. Yeah, I'm awfully surprised that Admiral got alive because um considering the um the stuff going on behind the scenes and, and her departure being so hostile, I was surprised I just didn't kill her. I just Maybe they hope they'll get her back one day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I feel like I got, I feel like that there, there were like in that stuff we talked about like at least ten ideas. Maybe it's yeah. not quite that yeah. much, um, but it sure felt like there was a lot there, didn't it? Yeah, there's there's like there's, there's a whole bunch there that would be really interesting to, to play with and to write that um, it doesn't have that whole fuck you element, um, which is fun, but it can get old. They do. They they just they're just they're they're just like hidden. They're all wearing red underwear. Yeah, I mean Abby was really the only long run female character, and I mean she's off the show now. So, although I. I've heard rumors she's coming back. That just really strikes me as strange, since apparently the reason why she's gone is because Polly Perrette could not get along with Mark Harmon. Right. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I think Brad Janet is a pretty rare pair for sure. Yeah, but it's like my instant OTP. I mean... <laughs> That's <laughs> a done deal. Yeah. Brain it. <laughs> and then, right, then, like, after the first year or maybe two, like, you know, when when Tony goes out to um, to to Atlantis, um, Brad and Janet go with him to replace Beckett because Beckett has to go and take care of his mama. Who has to go take care of his mama? Beckett. Oh, Beckett. His mama has cancer. He needs to go back to Scotland to take care of her and keep his crazy to himself. And so Janet and Brad can go out to to be um, joint CMO. Or maybe they can, like, take turns. I don't care. <laughs> Maybe Brad gets offered the position and he's like, I don't want to leave Janet, but they aren't really together yet. And um, he's like, you know, he's on the fence about it and she's trying to get him to go because it would be a good opportunity and he's very qualified for it and da, 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 da. And um, then like, he's like, well, I really don't, you know, and then he has to love for her and it would be great. (laughs) You'll be fabulous. NCIS has been on longer than 16 years. Aren't they not their 19th season? Not quite that many. Uh, They're on season 16 now. They got renewed, I know that. They've been renewed for season 17, for sure. Um, Usually NCIS would get more than a single year renewal at a time. Um, But, you know. um, But there had been talk about Mark Harmon leaving, but apparently that didn't happen. So 
they seem to really think that the, he's not going to that, that everything is going to um, you know fall apart without him. If they hadn't written him as such a blunt object for so long, they could slot him into the directorship. Yeah, and, and give made him the so main ending of the show. Yeah. Honestly, if they had treated Michael Lilly right, by now Gibbs would be the director and um, Tony Genoza would be the head of the MRCT um, and CRT. Um, that would have been a better um, direction for the show. A much better direction, yeah. If they weren't going to give him NCIS um, LA, which they should have, um, yeah, then it would have been a better direction to have sorted things out with Gibbs. And so I think Mark Harmon's at the point now where it is unrealistic, it's unbelievable for him to still be in the field. Yeah. I agree. I think it was unrealistic for him to be in the field more than five or six years after when they started the show. Yeah. Not ignoring it. I think that realistically, he should have left the field in his fifties. Um, I have no idea what the ping ping pula thing is, but okay. Ping ping pula was the when he got blown up. Oh. There is a retirement age, yeah, absolutely. There is a limit on, on how long a federal agent can be in the field. Um, I think the age, retirement age, is it 57? Um, they're out, it's, they can retire at 50 or at 20 years, but I think the upper age is something like 57. Um, 57 is the mandatory age of retirement. And Mark Harmon um, but is 57 that, years old, but I'm not, I don't know how old Gibbs is. Um, but the, but that can be extended to age 60 by the director if it's their continued service is in the interest is in public interest, which typically means that there's like something serious going on. Um, that's it. That's the FBI. I'm assuming that that is the same. It's typically those ages are pretty consistent across all federal law enforcement agencies because they all work on the same retirement system. Uh, so 60 at max, but I'm pretty sure that Gibbs can, can an age puts him well above 60. Okay, so in canon, he was born in 64, apparently. So he's 64. Pushing 65 this year. So he's That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. 
57. 57 is the age, but they can extend it to 60 for field work. If they want to keep them longer than that, they have to be out of – they can't be a special agent in charge because up to special agent in charge is considered field agent. Anything above that is um, management. So he'd have to be in the management chain to be staying at NCIS past age 60. Or switch into like a consultancy role or whatever. The people who have, I actually, I have to see people who have Gibbs, you know, not take over the NCRT again. It's a really common trope that he then goes off and teaches at the, at, cause there's multiple locations for FLETC. I think there's one in Rhode Island. They teach different things, but the main one is in Georgia. And, um, but there are others that are closer where he could teach. Um, but he could also teach probably at the FBI Academy, depending upon what they wanted to teach. So him, but he could definitely teach. Um, uh, what's it? Hostage? Um, is it HRCT? Yeah, the hostage rescue. Yeah, or sniper training, or okay. I might have read the wrong thing. I'll say he was born in '54. He's age 64, pushing 65. If I said 64, I, I read it wrong. I said it wrong because it, it's 54. Yeah, he, he's it's 54. Um, anyway, yeah, too old to be in the field. Um, but there's no way he, it could possibly be 65. <laughs> That's just not possible. So yeah, he's 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 way too old to be in the field, and um, they should have made a plan for that, um, and then they wouldn't have lost Michael Weatherly. Yeah, because I really it, it's totally I totally believe that Michael Weatherly left because they just were not letting his character develop. And then I actually they weren't they prepared for it either because they actually said they thought he was joking and um, they wanted to know you know they, maybe he just wanted more money. Um, he felt like he had nowhere to go. We've been discussing Gibbs' age, not Michael Weatherly's age. So, um, not not to, not to Mark Harmon's age. We've been talking about the character's age, not the. See, Mark, um, the, the the biggest indication we got in early season about Tony Dinozo's age was that he was probably, based upon some things that were said early on, probably born seventy one or seventy two. If you actually con- deconstructed his work history, he was born in seventy two or seventy three. So seventy one, seventy two ish made sense with some of the things that were said in the work history kind of thing. Um, But then they came out later and said he was born in 68, which didn't make any sense at all. But 68 is when Michael Weatherly was born. So whatever. Um, They were being lazy asses. Okay. So let's go, let's go a different angle. Um, Okay. um, uh, 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 Oh, So we've got him being recruited in 
medically. We kind of touched a little bit on him being recruited in. We didn't explore it much, him being recruited in. Um, well, they find him through the medical thing. We didn't really explore much about him getting in um, some other way, like getting recruited um, specifically away from NCIS. And that could be an interesting angle to pursue, that he's literally just he's recruited. That Morrow could recruit him. Morrow could get read in on Homeland Security, like when he leaves, and um, knows that they need somebody and says, look, the person I think who's the kind of open-minded thinker you guys need is this guy, but we're going to have to read him in because he's, he already said no to coming with me, but that was before I knew about any of this. <laughs> but I think he'd be really interested. Um, I shit with people's stories acronyms. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I rarely I would, even know my oh, own acronyms. Right. People be like, "Oh, I love." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't other than, <laughs> I mean, if somebody says, as, if somebody says this, I assume they mean Sentinels of Atlantis. But other than that, I get a little bit like I'm like scratching my head, going, "What?" Um, but yeah, I think I could. <laughs> yeah, that I one could I definitely. Get. But that but one with the Mar- Carpet King throws me off every time. I'm like. That looks like yeah, that one. Yeah, no. What's that? What is that? (laughs) Right? I'm like, I I don't know that. The first time I saw that, I was like, I'm not getting that at all. Um, I, I think that if if Morrow got read in, that he would he would say, look, you guys have a law enforcement. Coming considering his law enforcement background, I think that he would. If he got right into the program, he would be like, "You guys need some sort of law enforcement um, agent involved here." Of course, this is. Huh, I, if I want, if you wanted to interrupt Swack and not have any of that stuff go down, um, if you didn't want to go with him getting the plague and all of that, you could have Morrow because usually transitions of, of leadership at a federal agency they don't occur quickly. So he could have been read into his new role and know about the the SGC like a couple of months before Tony got the plague. So he could be like you could even do post need... uh, meat puzzle, post meat puzzle. That way he's because um, it was wasn't Tony like intermingling saving Bucky or am I not Bucky Ducky? Am I remembering that wrong? Uh, he was. I mean, uh, yeah, he was. Um, Gibbs more so than anybody, but yeah, Tony had made some good insights on that. But Meat Puzzle, isn't that season one? Meat Puzzle is episode 13 of season two. Oh, okay. So it's in February of 2005. Yeah, so I could definitely see Morrow going, finding out about, he gets right into the program because he's been offered a job with them. And he says, you guys need an investigator. You've got too many problems that you don't have a dedicated investigator on board. And, um, and he says, and I know. Maybe, I know maybe they the need right a task force. Of, yeah. 
And you guys have got the right, and I know the investigator has got the right kind of open-minded thinking for this kind of role. And he, he's, you know, he recruits Tony very directly and, and gets him right in so that he has the right information to make the decision. Because I really think that the whole SGC thing would be very appealing to him. Because mm-hmm. the danger side of it does, wouldn't phase him a, a tiny bit. Well, at that point, there's 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 problems with the trust. There's problems with NID. Um, there are problems with uh, people getting access to materials and um, research that they're not supposed to have, which leads us all the way up into that episode where feeds on that dude to, in, in order to save Jeannie Miller um, because he's fed her nanites, something he should not have had access to. So these are all issues that really the SGC needs a dedicated criminal investigation task force that's what they do that they that they protect and investigate shield the SGC up into including making shit up <laughs> the department of making shit up shit up yeah <clears throat> Yeah, well, a resident unit can be um, as little as, um, I believe, one person, but definitely as little as two. Um, he wouldn't technically be an agent afloat in the mountain. That doesn't work that way. Uh, but it would be a resident unit. And even if it was just him and one other person, it would still be a resident unit. But it w- would be, I think it would be an AFOC um, resident unit because it is under the Air Force's command ultimately rather than an NCIS one. But there's no reason why he couldn't be moved into the AFOC. AFOC, yeah. I don't. Think, I don't. There isn't it. I think it would be definitely be kind of like almost sort of like a lateral transfer, especially since they're um, part civilian and they do their training at FLETC just like the others do. It's just they also have active military um, who are special agents as well, as opposed to NCIS, which does not, which is strictly civilian. Um, when does uh, <laughs> Agent under, Agent the mountain. under the mountain. Now, now we need to call it that. <laughs> or you need to call it that. You, you know, say say that for your for your your story where where Tony winds up working in the in Cheyenne Mountain. Agent under the mountain. Okay, Ellie had a little plot bunny here. Let me see what she said. Um. That brother in Denver. I know who that is, and I've never even watched that show <laughs> or read that fandom. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you wanted to um, expand it beyond NCIS or the AFOSI, um, you could actually um, have um, O'Neill create a task force under Homeworld Security with um, a broader reach. So they could investigate the trust. They could investigate NID um, because it, because NCIS and 
the Air Force one would have limits on, on what they could do, and they couldn't be investigating. Um, they, they would be stepping on toes. So they need a a broader reach, maybe under the office of the FBI. Because they're yeah. because it's more than just military. True, true. But if it's a, it's I think if it's a if it's a military base, even the civilians on the base are covered by whatever whatever law enforcement <laughs> yeah, but those, agency has jurisdiction. Those asshole military, those, those asshole millionaires in the trust. <clears throat> That that's an FBI thing, right? Or NID? Yeah. Well, I think if the trust is probably a the trust, the trust is an interesting problem. Um, the trust because the trust probably has its hooks in a lot of things. They might punt that to the um, the. the The top Inspector General's office is the one that is works in the through the Pentagon. Is that the Department of Defense, Department of Inspector General? I think they might. They have a criminal investigation division, and they might be the ones who would get an investigation into the trust. Especially since the trust is primarily dipping their fingers into military matters, like they're they're interfering with the SGC. So that might wind up going to the Inspector General. But you could definitely make a case for it being the FBI. I just think there'd be um, a real worry about well, Phillips. <laughs> I guess the Operational question security. is, is Homeworld Security its own entity, G1 or SGC in the, in the Stargate world, or is it under Homeland? Because if it's not under Homeland and it is its own entity, it could have its own investigative unit. Yeah, I think people plunk it plunk it under homeworld homeland security because it's convenient, but it could definitely be a separate entity um, that would have its own. I think it general. almost has to be. I think that the I think because of the secrecy of the homeworld um, security that Jack O'Neill um, answers to one person, and that's the president. I think it's yeah. a very um, – I don't think it would be under Homeland or Department of Defense or um, – I think it would be um, – But it, it could be a separate agency and look on paper like it was part of home. And what I mean by on paper, it's like how do you justify where all those employees work? You can't say they work for Homeworld Security. So what if like there was a, a big department, like a big pool of budget under Homeland Security – that was actually this whole separate agency where they funneled the money through to pay all these other people. So all these people who worked tr- technically for home world security on paper looked like they worked for homeland, even though operationally they didn't report that way at all. Because mm-hmm. budget is a pain in the ass. You have to figure out how to hide things, right? Um, which means you could have Tom Morrow actually working for home world security, but it looks on paper like he works for homeland security is maybe an assistant director or something. And, um, yeah, Homeworld would have their own inspector general if they were a separate agency because Homeland Security has their own inspector general. 
Would it be interesting if Morrow was their inspector general? Yeah, that would be interesting. And then that way Tony could work under him as an investigator. Yeah, the Department of Homeland Security is 200, almost a quarter of a million people. So, yes, it's, it's, yeah, a, good it's, place. it's, to it's hide. a good place to hide, to hide people. I don't think the FBI is that big. But didn't Homeland kind of fold a whole bunch of different agencies in? I mean, didn't it? I mean, because um, there ICE are is part of Homeland. They've got ICE, uh, Secret Service. Um, there's there's several there's several branches uh, that, that all fold fold into Homeland. Like, yeah, the FBI is actually only thirty five thirty five thousand people. Um, was it who, which agency was it that we were surprised by the size of? Was it CIA? Yeah, we thought the CIA was some be huge smaller. number, and we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> about 22,000 people, but we thought they would be a small agency. But, yeah, they're actually they're not not small in the way we needed <laughs> for what we were working on. We needed a small agency. And we thought, okay, maybe the CIA. We looked at the numbers and we're like, what? No, that's not small. Nope. That, that's not small not in small. the way we need. Yeah, you've got Border Patrol, um, ICE. Uh, yeah, there's Secret Service, Treasury, all that's under Homeland. So it's it's um. Yeah, the homeland is enormous, which is why I think if they needed to hide a department, hide 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 an agency that actually is a completely separate entity, the place that they would hide it would be in homeland because it's so big that they can just hide a big budget that actually goes to homeworld there. You know? So and let's actually, they say come- that Morrow enters um, homeland and he's officially acting assistant director, but in reality, he is the inspector general for um, homeworld security. He gets a really good look at his his deal and realizes that he needs a field investigator stat, and there's really only one person that he feels like can just hit the ground running, and that's Spinozo. So he has to he has to lay it on the line. Yeah, because you think I mean you have to be a very flexible thinker to jump in from a law enforcement perspective with aliens. And I would think right. Ryle would recognize that he would need that more than he needs somebody who's got 20 years of experience, is that he needs somebody who's not going to, like, mentally buckle under the oddness of the assignment. And by the way, you need to be prepared that if you're on site at the SGC and there's a foothold situation, that you might have to defend the Earth from an alien attack. You know, you've got to be part of the team, buddy. Um. <laughs> Where's my gun? I got my gun. I got my knife. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> I don't think he would have to hard sell it. I think if, like, you know, if Morrow um, asked Tony to come in, I, mean, I need to have a talk with you, and he laid it out, he wouldn't have to hard sell it. Look, you know, I'm actually doing this. Um, I'm going to have to have you sign this before we can talk. And Tony trusts Morrow, so he's going to sign this, this NDA. And then he's going to lay it on the line. You know, I'm actually working for Homeworld Security. Um, there's a Stargate. Sometimes there's aliens. Um, there's a conspiracy in the United States to use alien technology against the citizens of our country. And I need your help. And that would be it. 
he wouldn't have to do anything else. Tony would be all in. All in. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to write this. It's 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 a it's it's a good bunny. It's a very good idea. I like it a lot. Actually, from a, from a from of the two of this between this and the Branet idea, I like this one actually slightly. I actually like this better, which is weird because I like the other day idea a lot. Pie holsters. <laughs> Yeah, you have me at alien, sir. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think that um and then he would be in a position where he could uh he could recruit others as needed, you know. And you could bring in whoever you wanted to be for the pairing. Yeah. If there's a pairing. Typically typically if I put Tony in the SGC, I'm gonna want to get him together with Ronan, but if he's staying on Earth it has to be somebody else. So there's there's that. Um Sure, there's the seal in fugitive recovery. Now that's distracting. <laughs> there's the seal in fugitive recovery who I think would make an exceptional um, member of this team for just tracking down the stray alien on the planet. <laughs> well, you got two options there. I mean, you know, do you want someone who's very familiar um, and who can track on the ground? Well, that, that's Ian Edgerton. Do you want? Um, Someone with um, and you, we don't even know what Ian's background is really. And, you know, then he was an army sniper. You don't know much about his. I mean, he could be a fucking Green Beret for all you know. In fact, it's my headcanon that he was a Green Beret. <laughs> so, depending on how you want to ship it, is he recruiting? You know, from the FBI, um, can he recruit an, an active um, Navy uh, SEAL, or would he have to have um, Steve go to the reserves? Hmm. Well, I think he could get um, if Steve wanted was interested. They could probably get Steve on paper, seconded to the SGC, and then Steve is actually working for Homeworld. Um, but yeah, but Dark points out that you know this does play into the uh, the, the head canon that Tony is at least my head canon um, that Tony would be great at intelligence analysis because I think to be really good at that kind of thing you have to not just like exceptional at it. You have to be um, a, a creative, sort of flexible, creative, kind of abstract thinker, um, as well as have information. And him in this kind of role would totally be a way of exploring that idea. The Russians found the water world, but the Russians found a a water world that was the the gate was entirely underwater. So we have a little bit of fire holster thing going on in chat. So just as a just as a just as a minor tangent, um, I have to say, in all of the 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 Tony in all of the um, procedural shows I've ever seen, I was most shocked, and I think I was so shocked the first time I saw it that it is stuck in my head that the person who wore thigh holsters the best um, 
was Rob Morrow in in numbers? Well, the I first know, right? He, what the fuck? Right, is the, that? The, the first time he was on screen in tactical gear, I think my heart stopped beating. I was like, I didn't even know he was hot, and I just suddenly got a crush. <laughs> I was like, whoa. The thigh holsters are really doing it for me. <laughs> the jeans and the thigh holsters, it was always tight jeans and thigh holsters, too. It was not like cargo pants. It was tight jeans and thigh holsters every time he was in tactical gear. And it was just like, it was like my brain melted every single time it happened. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. I didn't even know Rob Moore could look like that until numbers. I was like, really? Really? Like, um, oh, in the dude. episode where Daniel uh, didn't die, but they thought he was dead, um, he, that, was, that was the volcano vent planet. And he got taken into an ocean where that uh, spin-off Greek god creature was trying to find out information about his maid. Oh, is this the one where everybody else was left on the shore or something like that, and they thought Daniel and was dead? And they, they, they were fed an illusion, and they come back to the SGC and tell right. that, that Daniel was, was swallowed by a volcano vent or he was, you know, he was evaporated or whatever, but that was just an illusion. And, and he was actually, he'd been dragged off into the ocean by this um, alien creature. So that wasn't a water world. It just had an ocean on it. And eventually the, um, the, um, Daniel figures out what happened to the creature's mate and the creature releases him. And the, meanwhile, at the SGC, the teens, the illusion is starting to fall apart for them. So they, and so they actually go back to that planet to look for evidence, and they find Daniel. I remember that episode very well because, um, like, my Fox channel played it, like, every other week for a year. I mean, it was like, it was worse than that Nanite episode or the Ergo episode, which also played repeatedly on Sci-Fi channel. I hate the Ergo episode. Anyways, <laughs> I have issues around the Ergo episode. <laughs> this is for you, Kira. This is for you. Have a moment. Uh, I just did. Okay, okay. Let me let me say that because damn. I don't even get it. Why why does he look like that? I don't I, I don't know. And why doesn't everybody else wear thigh holsters exactly like that? <laughs> oh, and and look like that. Yeah. <sighs> thigh, thigh holster porn. It never gets old. Um, Let's just call that what that is, a dick frame. <laughs> it is a dick frame. That's why they use the light-colored jeans. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd have make sure you get a pants. really good look at what's being framed here. This is my package. <laughs> I do not ship. I do not ship Ian and Don at all. Uh, I don't know no, why. I, I couldn't even tell you why. Like actually, but also that yeah. they have a very um, brotherly vibe. They they um, they have a. I don't know, they just, it's obviously, like, you know, obviously they, they care about each other, but it's it's very, um, it's brotherly to me. It's brotherhood. You know, it's all. Sort of like shield brother kind of thing. 
Yeah. Definitely like Shield Brothers. But I did ship. I did. But ship, I also I did think ship, in uh, reality that if Ian tagged Charlie, that dude would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with my little brother? <laughs> I think he would, but I do. Th- I I could definitely. I def- definitely saw that kind of chemistry between. Ian and Charlie, much more so than I saw between. Yeah, yeah, I totally um, agree. Don would be like, um, what are your intentions? <laughs> Is there a ring on the table? Are you serious right uh, now? You're, you're, you're he, around all the time, dude. We only see you once a year. Then he would go home, and he'd be like, Charlie, what are your intentions? <laughs> Don't hurt my friend's feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody would get a lecture. <laughs> I actually prefer Don and Colby. I, I think that has a lot of potential. But only if Don is read in on Colby's role as um, a CIA plant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be a 360 shovel swing talk. I mean, because he would have to give everybody the shovel talk. <laughs> Don't hurt my friend. He might not look like it, but he's got feelings. He's got deep feelings. <laughs> yeah, that'd be hysterical because Don wouldn't be quite sure who he wants to give the shovel talk to. <laughs> So they both get it because he can just cover all his bases. <laughs> now, see, if we ever did that thing, if I ever wrote that thing where Don winds up on Atlantis with Charlie and whatever, that's one of the times when Ian would be around. I'd have Tony there too, of course, because why not just make it a whole hodgepodge of my favorite people? But that's one of the times I'd put Tony and Ian in proximity where I wouldn't put them together because I'd probably put Don and Tony together and put Ian and Charlie together. That's how I'd break that down. Although, again, if we're on Atlantis, Ronan's around, and I really ship Ronan and Tony. So that's, <laughs> that's the thing. You talked about there was when we did that thing that the how would we get Don and um, and Charlie on Atlantis um, and the, I said they really the only way to do it would be to have their father die, um, but mm-hmm. I was thinking about it and that, that isn't necessarily true because um, their dad's a city planner and a city engineer. That's what he did for a living. Yeah. I, so, I think I think there's a there's a really good case you made that in the second wave that Rodney would realistically be demanding city planners, plumbers, electricians, because a bunch of physicists is really not what a ten thousand year old city needs. So, but wouldn't it be interesting if Alan got recruited and he ended up on Atlantis and his kids were like, "Where's our dad, Don? I don't know where our dad is." <laughs> 
and Dawn starts sticking his foot in it. And eventually they're like, okay, we're going to have to get his kids out here because they're not leaving it alone. <laughs> and they end up out there because Alan got recruited. I thought it would be really interesting. It'd be cute. And there wouldn't be Alan's any out there. of Alan being dead. Because, you know, park, that was, you know, planting trees. He's tromping around the mainland, finding plants for his park. And he was like, Dad, no, wait. <laughs> you can't be out there. What if there are dinosaurs out there? What's, we don't even know what's out here. <laughs> Dan, yeah, and Alan's living his best life. <laughs> so I'm just saying. That'd be fun. Yeah, Larry would know where he was. Because <laughs> it's my head, Kenan, that Larry was actually with the SGC and not on the space shuttle. <laughs> yeah. That, space that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Dark says, and Rodney is talking to Alan, who can handle him well, and goes, Wait, your son is who? Why isn't he here? Half these idiots are worse at math than a suicidal flyboy. <laughs> That's funny as hell. And tell John to get Charlie because Kavanaugh is going to kill them all with inability to do his own calculations. Isn't that the truth? Oh, you know, honestly, Ellie, if Rodney allowed Kavanaugh on... Atlantis, I don't know why he would say no to Larry Flinehart. Seriously? At least Larry's smart. <laughs> I mean, he's also kind of a a crazy person, but I think he'd be useful. Yeah. I have to say, I really, Amita just came up in the chat. I really liked Amita in, in canon. I did feel like that she ultimately just became kind of a little bit too much of a plot prop. And um, I felt like she I was sort of subsumed. I thought Amita would have been a really interesting and powerful character. But they, they, they turned her into a love interest, and that was just bullshit. Yeah. I think that they could have let her be Charlie's partner in developing new algorithms and stuff. With with, with, the, with it with for the FBI or consulting with whoever and pursuing her own passions without kind of dumbing down her role into just Charlie's girlfriend. I mean, yes, she worked with him, but it didn't feel. I don't know. It just their whole relationship felt very contrived, and the further their relationship progressed, the the, the flatter her character got, and so that was just really disappointing. Also, a theorist might drive Rodney crazy, but competent theorist is better um, than an apply someone who has who can do the applied work and is incompetent. But Flyheart's perfectly capable of applying because we see yeah, him he do does it all the time. And, yeah, he does. Yeah. So actually, I do think that as a counterpoint, um, that um, if, I think if you have Charlie in a space. Um, working as a scientist, you need Flynhart because um, Charlie is all technical. I think Flynhart's Charlie's heart. 
when it comes to to science and math, he puts the heart in in um in his work. He gives right, him. But all, he make he allows Charlie to make his math have application in a lot of times, for, which for somebody who's a who's a theorist is interesting, because sometimes when Charlie fails to see the the um how the re- how real life interacts with math it's Larry who's cuts through that bullshit so right um yeah i agree that definitely larry is is charlie's science dad and i i think he honestly needs both he needs the perspective the humanity he um he, he needs that and um they also work well together. They're kind of like partners in crime. So, and I think it would kind of take some of the shine off going to a new galaxy if he didn't have Larry to share it with. <laughs> like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you gotta come see this shit. <laughs> well, Larry could be part of why they get recruited, right? Because he goes off and does his supposedly NASA stint, and when they're looking for somebody to come on the city as a city engineer, he says, well, you really need to recruit this guy. Yeah, he's he, realistically, Larry's probably a little older than somebody they would send out to, a civilian they would send out to, not Larry, um, Alan is a little older than somebody they would ship out to another galaxy to, to work, but it, you know, in a war zone. But if if they're really impressed with Larry and Larry really vouches for him, I could see that, that working out. I could see also... Larry, Charlie cuts Larry out when he realizes that his dad's in another galaxy on another in a in a on Atlantis without him because Larry suggested it. <laughs> I don't think Charlie would know who to cuss out first. I think it would be like he would he would have to make a list of people he was going to cuss out, and then he would probably take him a day to put it in kind of the right order. There'd be some math involved, of course. <laughs> yes, to, de- to determine who deserved the biggest share of the cussing out and who got it first. <laughs> You'd be like, Don, Larry said our dad, Pegasus. No, literally Pegasus, the fucking galaxy. <laughs> well, if... Let's say Larry and Alan were already there and Charlie and Don arrived. Oh, yeah, I could see that they would definitely um, be some entertainment value when those two showed up. Because maybe like after Dawn and I mean, maybe after Alan and Larry have been there a while, um, things keep coming up where Larry would say, "Oh, well, you know, I wish Charlie was here because he would have da da da." da. And Ronnie's finally like, "Fine, we're going to get this Charlie person." And he goes to get the Charlie person, and Charlie's like, "Well, no, because my dad is is gone off on some safari thing. Larry's gone. I can't leave Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> what would Dawn do?" And- and um, it could be my sequel to Finding Atlantis. <laughs> Sebastian does think the city could be beautified. <laughs> what this city needs is a gardener. 
we need a city planner, Dad. We need a city planner bad. <laughs> but it would be, uh, speaking in terms of finding Atlantis, it would, it would be, I would have to set that in, in a world, so assuming Alan's out there and Larry's out there, for, for, Don, for, for Alan to be on board with his sons coming out, um, you'd have to, I, I'd have to write it in that they've solved the ZPM problem because um, a vulnerable Atlantis with a race around um, is not something he'd be okay with his sons getting Well, in finding Atlantis, they have solved the ZPM problem. That's my point, speaking of finding, because that's exactly what you've got, is you've got the ZPM problem solved there. And you have to, to me, you have to do that. In any kind of situation where people are recruiting their family members out into the city, you have to kind of solve that issue. Because I think Mm -hmm. most people are not going to want to recruit their family members into a city that's that vulnerable. Because assuming there was an overwhelming race attack against a city that was fully had a full VPN, they would at least be able to retreat um, straight back to Earth with a fully charged VPN. VPS even says, um, I have a conversation in this new chapter where John is talking about um, Thesis' ability to protect himself and um, because he doesn't, he can't use the weapons chair without John. He can't launch weapons. He was weaponized um, by the ancients. It's, it's not a natural thing for him. Um, and, and due to his shape, he doesn't, he can't control his own weapons, uh, which was for the best when he was very young. Um, and so Rodney is, is, is making Theseus some laser cannons that he can actually control to defend himself. And um, John questioned that and whether or not, because he didn't, because in the back of his mind, he doesn't want his son in the control chair. He doesn't want his son defending the city. If it comes to that, and Theseus said that it, that it wouldn't, because at full power, he has the ability to run, and he would. He would never allow Sebastian to get in the chair and, and use weapons at his age. And so if there was an attack, he would just pack up his shit and go. <laughs> yeah. We'll find we you later. Just leave. The shield would hold up uh, long enough for us to bug out, and that's what we would do. Penguins and all. Penguins and all, Yeah. <laughs> Did you see what Dark said? <laughs> it's just I had to mute myself for a second because I started giggling. <laughs> Alan knows how to parent a genius child too. John would be at his door with a beer in hand saying, Teach me your ways. <laughs> Mark. Why are we arming the city? Because agency is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a lot in there about that because uh, Theseus is um, working hand-in-hand with um, the engineers on repairing, and John asked Rodney if that was a good idea and ended up getting a lecture on body autonomy from his (laughs) 10-year-old. So, yeah. Like I said, I'm almost done with this chapter. I got like two, maybe three scenes left, and I'm on the fence about one thing. So that's why I've just been kind of fluctuating on it. But we're getting there. We're under three minutes. I feel like I love I I love these ideas of of Tony being um, brought into the SGC because he's because he's interesting and talented. Um, but I especially love the idea of um, Morrow using him in in Homeworld Security to kind of take on. In ID and the trust. I'm not sure yeah, if it would be really seen in the fandom. 
I don't think we have. I, I've never seen it, and I've read a lot of NCIS. So, if and and well, I haven't read as much Stargate as you have probably, but I have. I also, if he's working as if Tony's like a working for the Inspector General, he would have a lot of power coming into um, the bases controlled by the SGC, including Area Fifty One. Um, he wouldn't just be a member of the ex, you know, a member of the the, the team. He would be. Um, he would have a lot of clout behind him if he's working for the inspector general. So that would put him in a, it's just, it's a different power dynamic than him being, you know, the agent of flow on Atlantis or something like that. Would he be a SAC? Would he be a special agent in charge? If, if he's leading this task force? Um, probably. And possibly even they might make him like an, a, a, yeah, probably. Yeah, I would think so. Because if he's any kind of field agent, they and if they want him to have, if he's, especially new, if he's like in charge of setting it up and recruiting, he would probably be the special agent in charge, yeah. yeah. Even as young yeah. as he is. I think Mara would just go all in on that. Well, I think you want to. I think you would want to recruit a young and dynamic team anyway, um, with with flexible, creative thinkers. You know, people who are you know who can move on their feet and be quick and be you know be thoughtful and make good decisions. You know, I think you you know, yeah. Anyway, we're down to fifty seconds. Um, you guys have a great weekend, and we'll catch you later in the weekend, probably, depending on what we're doing tomorrow. <laughs> Good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. Mm-hmm.